Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. Morning, church. Morning. Our Bible reading is from Galatians 2, 11 to 21. At the end of the reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. Please, let's all respond by saying, thanks be to God. Galatians 2, 11 to 21. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came to James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church. I promise you I wasn't going to um, ask us to do another good morning. But just seeing how cold it is and how our faces look and the number of people with pashminas around their shoulders, I think we should do it again. Good morning, everyone. Um, special welcome to those of us who are just joining for the first time, who are just um, worshiping with us here for the first time and particularly to our mothers. Happy Mother's Day. I think we can. can. Mothers are so special that they get to have two Mother's Days. Like there's one today, and then there's another one that is coming up in May. Like, but really, we are grateful for all, all mothers here in City Church. Um, those who have kids, those who don't have kids, but are involved in mothering, caring for children, caring for people who have been placed under your care mentoring younger people. We are grateful for you. Um, thank you for your service. Um, and so today we come to another sermon in our Galatian series. We all know something of what it is to try to please people or to try to, someone say here, to try to please someone whose opinion we care about. So maybe it's the boss, your boss at, at work, and you're trying, you know, you try to work in such a way that the person sees you, the person can recommend you for promotion. The person likes you, basically. Um, or your spouse. Maybe you are a lady and, you know, two, three kids down the line, you've added some weight and it looks like your husband is not looking at you anymore. And like one um, very bad cartoon from from an old magazine, it says, 
There's a, there was a plus-size woman and a guy, and um, obviously husband and wife. And the husband was saying, the wife was crying, and then the husband was saying to the wife, it's not as if I don't love you. It's just that I don't have enough love for all of you. <laughs> and some of us may be feeling that way, right? Like there's someone, our spouse doesn't seem to be looking our way again. Or maybe you are a guy. And just that thrill of, that thrill of being chased or chasing that guy's love has won away. We all know what it means to want to please people or to be accepted by people. And some of us have just come to a place where just, yeah, it's foolish. Like, you can't, you can't get everybody to like you. You can't please everybody. So just please, just do you know, what you can and please some people. But even that statement acknowledges that there are still some people that we need to please. And why do we try to please other people? Why do we try to please people? It's because we are aiming and hoping that they can accept us the way we are. That they see us at our deepest core and say to us that I'm still staying. And so it's like Hakim and his father um, in Coming to America 1. <laughs> Coming to America 1. By the way, I don't know. I don't know. I've just been seeing a lot of hate from you people who have watched Coming to America too, but um, we won't talk about that this morning. Coming to America 1, his dad brings, you know, there are a couple of ladies, his dad wants him to get married, and Hakim says to his father ultimately, I want a woman who will love me, not for what I am, but for who I am. And that communicates to our longing, to our aspiration as people. We want people who will accept us for who we are. And you see, God knows this. And that's one of the reasons why we have been given this passage this morning, to show us that we can truly be accepted for who we are at our deepest core. That God looks at us in the gospel and he says, yeah, I've seen all of you and I'm staying. And so today um, I've titled this sermon, How to Please God, How to Please God. And Paul shows us here three ways that we can try to please God. One is by working for people's acceptance. The second one is by working for God's acceptance. And the third one is by working from God's acceptance. Working for people's acceptance, working for God's acceptance, and working from God's acceptance. Let's pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts this morning be acceptable in your sight. Lord, we um, may be feeling discouraged, tired, worn out, cold, different things. But Lord, please help us in these next few moments that, Lord, all of our hearts be bound together by the power of the Holy Spirit so that we can gaze on Christ and follow him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Working for people's acceptance. We all, yeah, I said that at the beginning, but we all love to hate on family. If you're a teenager or you're someone who, you know, you've, you've grown up, you, you know that your parents used to tell you about uncles and aunties that you should be aware of. That uncle who is a drama king and who try, likes to make everything about them. Why didn't you kneel down well? Why didn't you proceed well? Why did you look at me like that? Or that auntie who is a prom queen and who, you know, just wants everybody to serve her a certain way. I know people who... If you prostrate like this in your body, say, no, no, no. Why are you planting maize? Prostrate flat. Or maybe your cousin who is just a spoiled brat and just running all around the house. I had um, an uncle who used to, uncles actually, who used to come. And they always did this when my parents were not around. They would come when my parents were not around. And then they would open the fridge and just start eating all the food in the house. But nothing beats the family reunion or family meeting. Because you know a family meeting is going to go down. Something is going to happen. There will be a royal rumble, and you don't want to miss the fight. That uncle and that auntie that have beef, something will happen, and there will be a spark. And I remember having one of those family meetings in our house growing up. Of course, children are not invited. They tell you to leave. But you always hang around so that you don't miss the gist. And so there are about two, three uncles in the room, a couple of aunties. And the next thing, you just start hearing loud voices. People are shouting, people are shouting, making noise. And then it's the uncles you are hearing. And then the aunties are begging. 
please, 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 please. Of course, eventually, it's like that please fuels the fire. And the uncles keep making noise and shouting. And then the door bursts open. And then an uncle walks out with a torn shirt. <laughs> like that, they were just like, wow, this is, this is the height of it. The uncle walks out with a torn shirt. And then all of them move out into the passage. And then they keep on making noise. And then one of them just walks out. But what was weird about that encounter was that there was obviously one person who was, who was the naughty uncle, who was always fighting every family meeting. But there was someone else who had never seen fighting in any family meeting that was fighting. It was a little bit weird. And that's what this passage starts with this morning. What's going on in verse 11 is a little bit weird. There is, it is not just that they are fighting. It is Paul and Peter are the ones fighting. This is like... Toki and Tedo <laughs> at GC Milan Fonde fighting. Everybody's like, wait, 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 what's going on here? Because we know in verses, chapter 1, verse 18, Paul says that after he became a Christian, three years after he became a Christian, he actually went to see Peter in Jerusalem. He traveled all the way to see Peter in Jerusalem, and he stays with him for 15 days in his house. Not fighting this time. <laughs> Getting to know one another, they are building a rapport. In chapter 2, he says that he travels down to Jerusalem with Barnabas, and they actually receive the right hand of fellowship from Peter and the other apostles. And they are even so close that Peter is the one who travels down, this time in chapter 2, verse 11, to Antioch, to fellowship with the people there. So why are they fighting? Well, we see the answer in verses 12 to 14. He says... For before certain men came from James, Peter used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in this hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them, Oh, you are a Jew. Yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? Do you see what's happening here? Peter had traveled down to visit Paul and the other leaders. And they were, like everything was going fine. They were chill. They were, they were having a good time. But then Peter gets wind that there's a certain group of guys who are coming from his village, from Jerusalem. Ah, no. You know how... When, um, when a husband and wife, or you've seen this kid with Faust, and um, I forget what her name is. And Faust says, no, I can't. The wife is asking the husband, cook for me. And then um, the, the husband says, no, uh, what, what do you think the people in my village will say when they see me like this? That's something of what Peter is doing. Peter, ah, my homeboys are coming. Nah, they can't see me like this. And so he stopped eating with the Gentiles that have been there, the non-Jewish people that have been there. And then he started eating with the Jewish people there. And, Peter, and Paul says that he was condemned. But you see, Paul declares him condemned because like we saw last week, this was not just a disagreement over being vegetarian or not being vegetarian. This was not just, oh, like, do you like this kind of meal or you don't like this kind of meal? This was a disagreement that had everything to do with the gospel. You see, these people called the circumcision group or the Judaizers, they were people who believed that people who were non-Jewish had to adopt certain Jewish practices in order to become true Christians. And particularly here for them, it was that non-Jewish people had to become circumcised. And so by, Paul, by Peter refusing to eat with the Gentiles and joining the circumcision group, he was saying effectively that he agreed with the circumcision group. He agreed that people had to adopt certain practices in order to become Christians. And what we see here is that Peter's betrayal here, like the guy does it again after betraying Jesus, Peter's betrayal here <laughs> has racial undertones. He's effectively saying that one group of people are preferred as God's people over another set of people. And we'll see that as we go further along in Galatians in chapter 3 particularly. But let me just say here, friends, 
for those of us who feel like there are some groups that are, you know, closer to what it means to be a Christian, some ethnic groups, some kind of tribes that are God's chosen people. This passage shows us that that is not true. Ultimately, what commends us before God is not whether you're an Igbo person or you're a Yoruba person or you're a Hausa person or you're from whatever tribe you're from. It is that we are accepted by Christ. And so when it comes to issues of, for instance, marriage or, you know, just business partnerships or different things or how we relate with each other and we are showing preference for one particular ethnic group over the other, we are denying what it means to be a Christian. But you see, also, it has religious undertones because I had just said, Peter was effectively saying, you people have to become like us. You people have to be worshipping God the very same way we are worshipping God if you are going to become true Christians. But what is interesting about this one, this particular betrayal of Peter, is that Peter did not actually believe it. Because we know in, for instance, I had mentioned in chapter 1 and 2, Peter had actually embraced Paul and the other apostles, and they, they were preaching the same kind of gospel. But also in the book of Acts, chapter 10 and 11, God had sent a vision to Peter and had told him there to go and preach to Cornelius, who was a Gentile person. And then some people heard, these same village people who had been chasing Peter, heard that he has gone and now he has had fellowship with these Gentile people, and they actually have beef with Peter. And so the church calls a meeting, and at the meeting in Acts chapter 11, 2 to 4 and 15 to 18, Peter actually says these words. He says, when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. And then Peter explains to them what God actually accomplishes as he's ministering there. And then he says in verse 17, So if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think I could stand in God's way? And he says, Ah, when they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, So then, even to the Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. So Peter doesn't actually, if you press him, if you cornered him that day, you asked him, like, guy, do you know what you are doing? Are you saying that there's another way to Christ um, apart from, and there's another way to God apart from Christ? And I said, no. So why then does Peter do this? The answer is in chapter 2, verse 12. We are told that Peter did this because he was afraid. You have to stop and take that in. Peter did this because he was afraid. Peter who, as we see in the Bible, who had been with Jesus for three plus years and had stayed with Christ and had been poured directly into Christ. Peter who at the start of the church had preached a sermon where more than 3,000 people were converted. Peter who with Jesus Christ had walked on the waves. Peter who was a pillar in the church. Peter who you have said, oh, this guy is such a great and marvelous Christian. Peter hears that some people are coming from his town and he's afraid. I don't know why Peter was afraid. Was he afraid because he felt he would let them down? Was he afraid because they had been so much fighting over this issue and he was like, man, I don't have strength for this again. Let me just do what they want. We don't know why he was afraid, but all we know is that Peter thought by doing what they wanted, he would get their acceptance. And he was willing to do anything to get it. And friends, this is so instructive for us this morning. Because it shows us that we can say one thing with our words on Sunday. We can sing perfect songs about how great God is and how Christ is enough for us and how Christ is sufficient and how we don't need anything. But then we can do something opposite to that on Monday. And as someone has said, what validates what we are saying on Sunday, what validates what we are proclaiming on Sunday is how we live our lives the rest of the week. It's not just when things are going well. It's not just when we don't have any conflict with those around us. It is when push comes to shove, when things are hard, when the rubber meets the road. Who are you ultimately aiming to please? I know some of us can identify with Peter this morning because we know what it's like to try to please people. You have certain preferences, you have certain ways you'd rather do things, but because you don't want people to look down on you or because you want to 
go or progress in your in your at your job, or you just want people to think of you a certain way, you are willing to do what they want. But others of us think, nah, that's not my problem. But as we stare at this text this morning, what the Holy Spirit shows us is that all of us have ways in which we are aiming to please people in our life. All of us have ways in which we are thinking that by doing certain things that, that make people cool with us, we are ultimately pleasing God. As a Christian counselor and psychologist named Ed Welch wrote a book called When People Are Big and God Is Small. And the entire thesis of that book is that when we are aiming to please people, people are big in our eyes and God is small. And he has a couple of diagnostic questions that I just want us to walk through this morning. I'll just briefly touch on them to, and to, to see whether we have um, these things in our lives. One, have you ever struggled with peer pressure? If you have before, it's probably still there now. Are you someone who is overly committed? Do you find it hard to say no even when wisdom indicates that you should? Like to put your hands in different things so that people can think of you in a certain way. Or maybe you are trying to save people and so you try to do different things. Do you feel like you need something from your spouse? Is there something that you are seeking from your spouse or from your friend that you are hoping that if they give you that thing somehow, it will make you feel cool with yourself or make you feel good. Do you feel as if you might be exposed as an imposter? And this is particularly for those of us who are working in careers and jobs where you need to know a lot of things. And so you're afraid that at some point, maybe you'll be exposed as someone who actually doesn't know a lot of things. And that fear is at the root of how you work and at the root of how you actually live your lives. Are you always second-guessing decisions because of what other people think? Are you always afraid of making mistakes because of how it will make you look in other people's eyes? Do you get easily embarrassed? This one is funny because it's something that happens to many of us. You are in a place and then someone says something, oh, like your zip is down or something, and you just feel like, oh, the world has ended. Do you ever lie, especially little white lies? You know that lie that is not really a lie? <laughs> when they say something like, why did you come late? And you're like, there's traffic. <laughs> but all of us know that, yes, in Lagos, there's always traffic. Like, there is no time when there's no traffic in Lagos. But you're afraid to say, I woke up late. And then when I woke up late, I didn't prepare on time and all of those things. And then I stepped out late. And there was traffic. You're afraid of what people might actually think about you. Or is it those ones where you are lying, but it's not, it's not a lie of what you've said. It's a lie of what you've withheld. Why did this happen? And you actually know why it happened, but then you are saying another thing so that a person can think another thing. Are you jealous of other people? Do you look at other people and feel like, man, I wish I had your job. I wish I had your wife. <laughs> like, my wife was like your wife. <laughs> I wish I had your money. <laughs> Everybody in Lagos wishes they had other people's money. <laughs> Do other people make you angry or depressed? Like you just have an encounter. I'm not talking about toxic people. I'm just saying you have an encounter with people, like the normal stuff of life, and you feel like, man, like I'm just angry. This person makes me feel this way. This one is a big one, particularly for those of us who are introverted. Do you avoid people? Do you go to, do you not go to places because you feel like I'm going to meet too many people there and I don't, I don't want to start saying things so that they won't make me feel a certain way, so let me just stay back. All those of us who are perpetually on diets, we're always dieting. <laughs> because we feel like I don't want people to actually know that this is the way I am. I don't want them to perceive me as this indisciplined person. 
Or I want them to see me as this very healthy person. And so you engage in diets. This thing is so insidious. It's in different ways in our lives that we are aiming to please people. And we do different things so that we can actually get their favor. I see, friends, it's not always obvious to us when we are doing these things. It's not always apparent that, oh, you are trying to kiss up to this person. That's why you are doing these actions. But at the root of it, at the core, Paul shows us, it is because we are hoping that by doing what these other people want, we can please them. And by pleasing them, we can have a kind of divine approval. But you see, what we see is that this is both for those of us who are Christians and non-Christians. Well, you see, the thing with aiming for people's acceptance is that either way we lose. If you get it, you end up becoming a proud and bigoted person who feels like they've achieved stuff in life because of what other people think about you. If you don't get it, you become a sad and depressed person who thinks the world has ended because of what other people think about you. But some of us may be feeling like, exactly, Emmanuel. And that is why I don't try to please people. I try to just please myself and do what I want. But you see, again, the problem is that you just replace other people in your life with yourself. And so if you end up achieving your standard and pleasing yourself, you become a proud and bigoted person who thinks that they've attained what they want in life because of themselves. If you don't get it, you become a sad and depressed person who thinks that their life doesn't amount to anything because of what they haven't achieved. You see, it's a cycle that keeps on going on and on. We can't pull ourselves out of it by just changing our approach or changing our attitudes. We need something else. And it's interesting that when Paul is rebuking Peter, he doesn't just go and say, guy, you are doing a bad thing. You are alienating people. What does he say in chapter 2, verse 14? He says, your conduct was not in step with the gospel. How interesting and amazing it, it is to see that the gospel has things to do with even the food we eat and the people we share our meal with. The gospel has everything to say about the kind of ways in which we are hoping to please people in our lives. Well, you see, Paul shows us that there is another way in which we can aim to please God, and that is by working for God's acceptance. So I go to the next one, working for God's acceptance. I don't know if you have one of those people or one of those bosses, I'm just pointing, you know, just who, like, when you are offended and you say, I agree, they don't let you go. They just, they keep pressing it, they keep pressing it. <laughs> and that's what we see in verses 15 and 16 like Paul has no choose he's going all out on Peter and what does he say he says we who are Jews by birth are not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law but by faith in Jesus Christ so we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law because by the works of the law no one will be justified and when Paul is saying sinful Gentiles there, he's adopting the language of this circumcision group and he's saying the way that this circumcision group are talking about non-Jewish people as sinful people, that's the same way he's describing them. And so when we take verses 15 and 16 together, what is Paul describing? Paul is describing another way of trying to please God, another way of trying to work for God's acceptance. And here he's talking about the approach of some of the Jewish people at the time where they hope to be justified before God by doing all the things the law of God demanded by their own strength. And you see, to be justified carries is a word that carries a legal term. It means that someone has been tested in court and the person has been found to be in right standing with whatever law um, had, been, uh, had been promulgated or whatever law was enacted in the land. But also it's a word that has a personal connotation to it. It's a word that means that I and this person are cool. This person has accepted me. And so these people trying to be justified by the works of the law were ultimately saying that by doing what the law of God has commanded, I hope to be in God's good books. And some of us are like that. 
Our entire Christian life is defined by what we do, by the rules we keep. You have all these rules of what it means to be a Christian, and that's how you live your life. But that's not enough. You think that other people should also keep these rules in this very same way you keep them. And so we have the classic examples. Oh, every Christian must um, read their Bible in the morning at this particular time. Every Christian must give out a certain number of tracts every day. I remember a guy was, I was taking a bus um, a couple of years ago from Ojota. I can't remember where I was going. But along the way, um, around five days or so, there was this guy who had been in the bus and who had been giving everybody tracts. There was a pregnant woman who was trying to come into the bus. Like she was, like it was obviously difficult for her to come into the bus and everybody was saying, oh, take it easy. Use this place, don't use this place, that kind of thing. Immediately, the woman sat down. The guy just handed her a tract. He didn't say anything to the woman before that. He just handed her a tract. Why? Because this is what God wants me to do. You are going to go to hell right now if you don't take this tract from me. And many of us have rules like that. But could it also be that ours are the less obvious examples? Maybe it's saying, oh, I gave this donation to charity. I gave this donation to people, so God owes me this. Well, I've never looked at porn, so God owes me. Or oh, I've been celibate all my life. I've never had sex. I've never, you know, done anything bad, so God owes me a great sex life and marriage partner. See, the ways in which we try to keep rules so that we can earn our way into God's heart, so that God can accept us. But maybe you are not a Christian. And, you, and, and why are you not a Christian is because you feel like, oh, yes, Christianity has so many rules. But this approach to life is also evident, even if you are not religious. And so some of us who are not Christians, we are hoping that by keeping the rule of self-discipline, by keeping the rule of generosity, somehow you can be this person who walks their way in getting divine approval. And the Bible calls that, or Christianity calls that legalism. It is that by hoping, but by doing certain things, I can actually gain God's acceptance. I can gain God's love. I can merit God's divine approval. And what's Paul's answer to that? In verse 16, he says, we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law. But what's interesting is that in this immediate passage, we see that this circumcision group were defined by what they did not do. And so legalism manifests itself in our, in our lives, in our hearts, not just by what we do, but also by the things we do not do. In fact, that's the whole point of verses 11 to 14. And many of us define our Christian life by what we do not do. And so a couple of years ago, um, my wife and I and many of our other colleagues were in law school. And if you know anything about law school, like I don't know about now, but the system of grading law exams like, has to be one of the worst things in the world. You are assessed. Your final grade is not a accumulation of all your grades put together. Your final grade is based on your lowest grade in all the subjects that you write. So if you like, have A, 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 A. If you have a B in a subject, you have a, a 2-1. You can't get a first class. To get a first class, you have to have A all rounds in all the five, six subjects that you write. And so like law school is like battle to die. People are just, just trying different things to make sure that they come out on top. And so there was a prayer meeting. And like, man, like people, they will do bad things on Friday. They will do different things. But this prayer meeting, people were not missing it. Why? Because, ah, God, I must, I must hammer in this law school. I must make it. So people used to come. And then a guy, good guy, has a vision um, from God. And then he's telling us, if you want to make it to heaven as a Christian, you have to stop. And obviously, at this time, he's crying, like he's saying different things. God has taken him to heaven. God has shown him different things. If you want to make it as a Christian, you need to stop wearing trousers and attachments because those are the things that will keep you from the kingdom of God. Yes, now for life. Yeah, for women. 
No, no instruction for men. God didn't say anything about the. We are okay. It's the women that have issues. <laughs> and what was interesting about that is that a lot of people like ah. But yes, this is not. This is not just for heaven. This is also like for now. Like I need to get an A in law school. So what do I need to do? I need to stop wearing trousers and using attachment. And we can laugh at that, as funny and as ridiculous as that is, but many of us, yeah, my wife was one of those people. <laughs> this is what the pastor said last week, is a therapy session. We just, you know, we, we share secrets with one another. But many of us are like that. We're hoping to walk ourselves into God's good books by not doing certain things. By keeping ourselves from certain things so that God can actually approve of us. What is Paul's answer? Verse 16, he says, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law. <coughs> We're aiming to please God by doing or not doing certain things. We're aiming to work for God's acceptance by the things we do and the things we don't do. And we just see that it's impossible. Ultimately, what we are saying is that we are trying to buy God off. We are hoping that if we stack up this number of good deeds, it will be like divine currency that can buy God's favor from, for us. And what the gospel shows us is that we cannot buy God off. We cannot buy God off. In 2003, a guy named 50 Cent, had, who had been shot nine times um, and survived, released an album say, um, that was titled Get Rich or Die Trying. And his whole thesis is that you need to make it in life. You need to acquire this number of things or die trying on the way to that. Well, the gospel message is that you're not rich and quit trying. You cannot amass enough good deeds to earn God's favor in your life. You need to stop. You need to end all of that and come before God just as you are. But you see, this thing is so ingrained into us that it is not just when we come into Christ as Christians that we need to stop all of this. It is an entire journey, an entire posture of life. And so just a personal confession. Last week, Pastor Femi was preaching, and then he talked about how we must resist enslavers and how certain kinds of people, just like the example I gave, would list certain criteria for people that you needed to um, have to become a Christian. And then he was giving examples, and one of the examples he gave was like, people would say, oh, don't wear... Um, I think he said something, I don't wear off-shoulder, I don't wear a certain kind of dress. And instinctively in my mind, I was like, yeah, ah, they should not wear a certain kind of dress. But it means that people can dress in this other bad way. And it took God's Holy Spirit in that moment to come to me and say, so what are you saying? So what are you saying effectively? That it means to be a Christian is to dress in a certain kind of way. Is that what you're saying? And I had to repent of that. And many of us are like that. We get easily worried when people say certain things about what it doesn't mean to be a Christian. And then you're asking for balance. Like, let's balance this thing out. Let's, let's make sure that people don't go this other way. You are legalist at heart. And what the gospel shows us is that we don't just repent of our sins. We repent of our false righteousness. We repent of the ways in which we are hoping that we can buy God's favor, buy God's acceptance so that God can be disposed of us in a certain way. You see, the opposite of legalism is not license, as it's called. It's not living without the law. Because both of them, both legalism, both people who hope that they can do certain things to earn God's favor, those are legalists. And people who hope that, who say they don't have to do anything to earn God's favor, are people who are called um, licentious people. Both of them are relating to the commands of God rather than the person of God. Many of us are involved in sin, and sin doesn't grip us, or conviction doesn't grip us, because we are thinking of our relationship with God in terms of keeping God's commands and not the person of God. But what Christianity shows us is that the opposite of legalism is not license. The opposite of legalism is grace. The grace of Christ that comes to us, that exposes us just as we are, and says, God accepts you. God forgives you. You cannot earn God's favor. Quit trying. Quit trying. What does Paul say? 
verse 16 and 17, he says, We know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Christ Jesus. So we too, he's saying to Peter, so we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Friends, do you want to please God? Do you want to live your life in such a way that you are actually ultimately living for the audience of one and not for people's opinions and what people think about you? You can only do that by trusting in Jesus. Your past efforts, your present efforts, your future efforts will not commend you to God. There is only one who can, and his name is Jesus. And so just three tips. If there's anyone, or for those of us who know that we are legalists at heart, or those of us who know that we are recovering legalists at heart, and we need God's grace. One, do you find your identity in what you do or don't do for God rather than in what Jesus has done? Are you sadder when you haven't read your Bible, read all the chapters that you've, um, you've listed out in your Bible? Or are you happier when you read all the chapters you've listed up in your Bible reading and, 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 and you're hoping that God somehow thinks highly, more highly of you than you are? Do you find your identity in what you have done or what you don't do for God? I talked about this one, but it's something to reflect on. Are you always worried about balance? When issues of conscience and freedom come up, are you always worried that, oh, this person didn't balance this thing? Like, ah, people can, people can start wearing this kind of clothes, though. People can start walking like this, or people can start doing things like this. Are you always worried about balance? Or are you the kind of person who, when you hear, like, oh, the, the, the gospel doesn't mean you have to live in this one, you're thinking, yes. I have a free way. I have a leeway now to get as close to the edge as possible without actually crossing it. You want to kind of experiment and do the things that you were doing before without actually breaking God's commands. We need to examine ourselves and just see how and in what ways we are working for God's acceptance and hoping that we can please God that way. But the last thing we see Paul shows us here is that we walking from God's acceptance. Walking from God's acceptance. And so Paul ends his rebuke of Peter in verse 16 by stating that any attempt to please God apart from the person of Jesus Christ will not earn us God's favor. But you see, in typical Pauline fashion, in how he talks, in verses 17 and 18, he says, this doesn't mean that we can do anything that we like. Let's look at this together. It says, but if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we, find, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners. Doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really will be a lawbreaker. What's going on here? See, this circumcision group have accused Paul that, oh, you are saying people don't need to adopt Jewish practices. People don't need to eat certain kinds of food. People don't need to be circumcised. Effectively, Paul, what you are saying is that people can become Christians and just live anyhow. That's the accusation they are giving against Paul. And Paul's response is what? Absolutely not. And so Paul recognizes that, yes, you guys have a genuine concern. You guys have a concern that people shouldn't just be living anyhow. But what you are proposing as the solution to that is wrong. That's not what the gospel is about. And so in verse 19, he says, For through the law I died to the law so that I might live for God. And Paul is saying, effectively, that you need to admit, all of us need to admit, this circumcision group, people need to admit that we cannot keep the laws of God. We cannot walk ourselves into God's heart. That the penalty for failing to keep God's law is death. And there has to be judgment for that. And Paul is saying that that is the fate of all of us as human beings. We face death because we don't keep God's law. But the weird thing about Paul's own experience is that Paul doesn't face judgment. Paul dies to the law. Paul is killed to the law. But Paul doesn't face judgment. Why? Why, Why does Paul not experience the judgment of God that he's meant to experience? 
Is it that somebody else dies for Paul? Is it that Paul actually, does something happen? Well, the answer is in verse 20. And Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And this life that I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And Paul is going to talk about this more fully as we'll see next week in the next few weeks in chapter 3. But what Paul is saying is that because Christ has died, Paul has died. But also because Christ now lives, Paul now lives a new kind of life. Do you understand what Paul is saying? Paul is saying that none of us can really please God by our own strength. All of us who are hoping that somehow we can earn God's favor, we can stack up all these good deeds in our heavenly bank account, and then as we go through life and as we face troubles, we can kind of just present it to God and say, hey, look, God, this is my account balance. Make sure you credit to me all these things that I'm asking for. Paul says, no, you can't do that. You can't achieve that. Why? Because none of us can ultimately live and achieve God's standard. You know that joke that always comes up every now and then on February 14th? A rich guy who has a babe. And then the babe says, what can I give to somebody who has everything? What can I give? Nothing. I just want you to know that I love you. And guys are like, that is madness if you try to me. But that is the question Paul is posing before us here. What can I give to somebody who has everything? What can I give to someone whose standard is infinitely holier than than mine? What can I give to someone who is a hundred times holier than I can actually ever hope to be in this life? What can I give to someone who doesn't have need of anything? What can I give to someone when I am a broken and messed up human being like I am? And Paul's answer is nothing. You can't give anything. You only have to trust in the one who has done it for you. And friends, the Christian message is that we can never never in all of our lives in aiming to please God we can never stack up good deeds for God we shouldn't even attempt to we shouldn't even try to and some of us have we've become Christians we, we heard that yes it is by the good news of what Christ has done that is how you become a Christian but we are hoping as we've continued our Christian life we are thinking that we need to Stack up this number of good deeds before God, and that is how we actually mature. Paul says, no. You start with Christ, but you continue with Christ all the way. You begin with Christ, and you are hoping that he's the one, you are trusting him to be the one who is carrying you and commending to God all of your life. You see, there are different ways the Bible talks about being a Christian. One of it is being born again. And so in John 3, Jesus speaking to Nicodemus says, except a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. But another way the Bible talks about is, is being saved. And so in Titus 3 verse 5, the Bible says, when the good, goodness of God appeared to us, he saved us, he delivered us, he rescued us. But also the Bible talks about being a Christian as being united to Christ. We have this deep and intimate union where every benefit that has accrued to Christ accrues to us because we have deposited, we have trusted in him for our righteousness. It's like being part of a football team. And you see all these 11 players on the field playing against their opponents. But then there are all these other people on the sidelines. There's the manager and then there are the other coaches in the team. But then there are the substitutes. And sometimes the substitutes don't even feature in the match at all. They don't even actually play anything. And yet when the guys on the team who win the match win, all of them go out to carry the trophy. Why? Because they are united. They are joined to the team. The fate of the team becomes theirs. The wins of the team becomes theirs. The losses of the team becomes theirs. Friends, when we become Christians, we have been joined to Christ. The wins of Christ, the benefits of Christ, the way God looks at Christ is the same way God looks at us. And so we don't come to God hoping that we can actually please him somehow by doing all these good things. No, we come to God knowing that because Christ has done all the good deeds that we never could, God now looks at us as people who please him. 
And so Paul says, it is not just that Christ has died for us, it is also that Christ now lives for us. Christ now lives in us. And so that the life we are now living as God's children are lives that are empowered, driven, inhibited by Christ himself. And so yes, we don't live anyhow. We don't just do anything that we want to. We'll see that as we go on in chapter 5. We don't just go through life coasting and hoping that, oh yes, because Christ has now saved me, I can do anything. But we see that because God is pleased with us, we no longer walk for God's acceptance. We walk from God's acceptance. Because we have been united to Christ, we can now please God. And I think there are a couple of us that need to hear it this morning. Some of us who feel as though, like men, like I've done everything possibly bad in all the world. How could God accept me this way? Or some of us who have become Christians hoping that by checking off all these lists, I can actually make it through the Christian treadmill and become this kind of person who is strong and healthy and vigorous and living this triumphant life. The good news of the gospel is that we cannot please God. Only Christ can. And when we trust in Christ, that same way God looks at Christ, that same disposition God has to Christ is the very same way God looks at us. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.